Thank you, ladies. Let's turn our Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Kings. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter number 22. 1 Kings chapter number 22. And God has blessed us already with a great day and look forward to the message tonight. And as always, the music, I enjoyed the music. Uh, that first group, uh, all those guys, uh, as they were putting their microphones away, I looked at them and I even said to a couple of them, like, you guys are getting old. Uh, that group has been singing since they, I believe, since they were teenagers, and and, uh, and uh, look at them, and they they're all products of our church, products of our schools and our ministry, and they're not little boys anymore. And uh, I believe one of the smart Alex said back to me, "Well, you're not getting any younger either." So, uh, but anyway, um, that make sure that group doesn't sing anymore, Brother Stanley. But uh, uh, no, First Kings chapter twenty-two tonight. I'm going to preach a message that. Um, the truths have been inside of me and been in my mind for years, and I did not know if I would ever preach this message, uh, or I didn't know when. I believed I would, but when I would preach this message. Uh, I attend on preaching this message during the Preacher's Delight Conference, one of the sessions there, um, but I feel really impressed over the last couple of days to preach this message tonight. Uh, we have a culture at war with the church. Uh, one of the mistakes we make as Christians is we think we live life in a vacuum. There's no extenuating circumstances. There's no satanic opposition. How many of you are saved tonight? If you're saved tonight, you have an enemy that wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy this church. What's well, taking place as, as Americans? It, it, you can see it. It's taking place. You can see it in, 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 the, in the rhetoric of, of preachers today. They, they think our nation has not changed. Our, our nation has changed. Um, we, as Americans, we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, our nation is not the way it was 40 years ago. Um, and what has happened is Satan, over the decades, has changed our culture. Um, it would start begin to be taught in the public schools that God was not the creator of all things, but we evolved. If you remove God as the creator, then he has no right to say who can go to heaven, who can go to hell, who needs salvation, uh, who doesn't need salvation. Our culture has changed. Um, and it, 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 now we have a generation uh, who uh, are making the decisions in our nation. They are the... Uh, backbone of our nation who've never been to Sunday school, who've been taught that God is the theory and evolution is the fact. And that is absolutely reversed. Satan has succeeded in changing our culture. Now, let me just interject there. The Bible hasn't changed during this time. But our culture has now we live in a day, don't forget this, we live in a day where God, when He has taken that culture that He has changed, and now He has unleashed it against good, unleashed it against righteousness. You see this taking place on the political stage, and, and, and what takes place in the church reflects on the political stage, and what takes place on the political stage reflects in our churches. Uh, it is polarized. We have this thought today, well, why can't we meet in the middle? Well, I'm not meeting in the middle when it comes to abortion. But the God-haters aren't either. And there's a lot of good things going on in our country right now. 
The economy is good. Anybody notice that? Jobs are available. Anybody, anybody realize that? We, I, I, I'd much rather have a president talk about God than Allah. I'd much rather have a president say that every life is important than continuing to promote and fund Planned Parenthood, which is just a baby-murdering organization. I'd much rather have that. I say, Pastor, why you you say all these things? We are we we are closer to civil unrest than you think we are. I hope you've been watching the news and paying attention to what's going on in Washington D.C. Uh, you say, I don't think you should be political. I'm not being political. I'm just telling you what's going on through the prism of Scripture. What's going on? This is going to take place before Christ returns. The, what is being trying to be done, and if, if, and if, the, if that certain party succeeds, and they won't, in trying to remove a president, you think people are going to stand by and take that? And the first thing that would do, they'd, they'd legislate to take your guns. Second thing they would do, they'd legislate for every preacher who preaches against abortion, against same-sex marriage, transgender, Hate speech, throw them in jail. Say, Pastor, not ever in the United States of America. Oh, yeah, the United States of America. Why? Because the culture has changed. And Satan has unleashed it against the church. Now, what are we to do? We're to stand. Our instructions do not change. Our instructions do not waver. Uh, tonight, and I'll reiterate this toward the end of the message, that uh, I, I serve King Jesus. And uh, King Jesus sits on his throne. And, uh, and that's, that's who we serve. The mission of the church does not change. And, 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 I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to, to put, put a negative feel on the church tonight. But we need to be prepared scripturally. I have responsibility as a pastor to preach the whole counsel of God. This morning part of my message was, you, it doesn't matter if, if you sit in the church pews. You better know that you're saved. You better know that you're on your way to heaven. You better know that your sins have been forgiven. That's my responsibility, is to remind all of us, we better know that we've been born again. We better know that we have the belief, the faith. We better keep our pride in check. But I also have to preach the counsel of God to remind us that this is where we stand and this is why we stand where we stand. And tonight, I want to preach a message. I've told you this morning the title of the message, but I want to look in 1 Kings chapter number 22. And before I read, beginning in verse number 5, let me, let me add to what I've already said. Political change is not going to change our nation back to God. Only God's people seeking the face of God is going to change our nation to make it a righteous nation. That's in the Bible. That's a fact. So what goes on in the church house is much more important than goes on in the White House. And, 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 and we have responsibility as citizens. I believe that. But we have responsibility as Christians to be what we're supposed to be. And it all depends on the voice of God's men. God has always had men to be his voice. And when men are faithful to be the voice of God, God will use simple men to confound the wise and work through them. What would happen if our nation, if every pulpit, every man got up and thundered the truths of the word of God? 
It'd make a difference. First uh, Kings chapter 22, look at verse number 5. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. This is Jehoshaphat speaking with Ahab after they've made that forbidden alliance. Then in verse number 7, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man. Jehoshaphat says, we need, to get, we need to get God in on this. We need to get, to get God in on this alliance which he has forbidden. Isn't it the way we do it as Christians? We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to do how we figure it out. We just got to get God's approval. And amazingly, Ahab had a group of prophets to put their stamp of approval on it. That's good. But Jehoshaphat at least had enough wisdom to say, okay, okay, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? Verse 8, and the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah the son of Imlah, and the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, set each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah the son of Shenad made him horns of iron, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, With thee shalt thou push the Syrians until thou hast have consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. The messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. This alliance is taking place in Jehoshaphat, as we've seen, asked Ahab, is there, well, is there one that, that we can inquire of? And he says, yes, there is one, but I hate him. Because he condemns everything I try and do. He speaks evil of what I try and do. So they send for him and while he is gone, and they're, they're waiting for him to get there, uh, the kings put their robes on, and they, all the prophets come in and prophesy, oh, God's going to give it to you, God's going to get it to you. Then lo and behold, in verse 13, we see Micaiah arrive. And the messenger that went with him spake unto him. And the words of the prophets declared good unto the king with one mouth, let thy word, Micaiah, every other preacher, has given their blessing on this. You better give your blessing too. Every other preacher has fallen in line with what the king has said. You better fall in line too. And Micaiah gives his answer in verse 14. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. In other words, I'll not fall in line with what the king says I should do. Tonight I want to preach on this subject, the preacher 
who would not fall in line, the preacher who would not fall in line. Father, I pray that you'll help us tonight. As we look into the scripture, may we, re- we see some principles that certainly can apply to us as a church. Certainly will help this church knows where their, know where their pastor stands. But also will help us realize that in areas of authority in our home, we have responsibilities as well. And Father, may our goal, our desire be to uh, be loyal to you, to be faithful to you. Bless our service tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Micaiah is a relatively unknown Old Testament prophet. I would contend with you tonight, and I'd submit with you tonight, that he's one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. When you think of Old Testament prophets, I immediately think of Elijah. What a great, great man of God. What a, what a powerful man. You can think of Elisha and how Elisha did twice that which Elijah did. But yet we have Micaiah, who we do not know much about him except for the fact that he was in the great minority. I think he and Jeremiah would get along very well. Jeremiah, that prophet who God told to prophesy, you're not going to have a revival, you're not going to have converts, you're not going to have a people come to, to, to God, you're not going to have the people repent and turn back, but you just be faithful to prophesy and to preach, and that way those people are going to be able to stand before me one day, they're not going to be able to say we didn't know any better, I'm going to be able to say I sent you a prophet, but yet we know how discouraged Jeremiah got. What a great prophet. Micaiah was a great Old Testament prophet. I'm looking forward to the grand reunion in heaven. Boy, I preached this morning on seeing the face of our Savior, hearing the voice of the Son of God. But I would say all of us probably have a loved one in heaven that would be great to see. I have a daughter in heaven that... I look forward to seeing again one day. I have family in heaven. There are great preachers in heaven that I look forward to seeing one day. I look forward to seeing some of the ones and talking with ones that are on the pages of Scripture and hearing them tell the same account of stories that we have read about, that we've preached about. I, I, could you imagine what it would be like to speak to the Apostle John, to sing praises unto our Lord with the Apostle Peter? Uh, talk of whine about our hardships with the Apostle Paul. I don't think that's going to happen. But I want to meet Micaiah. The preacher who would not succumb to the pressure. The preacher who would not fall in line. The preacher who was more concerned with being, uh, having, being blessed by God and being faithful to the word that God put in his heart and his mouth than getting along with everyone else. See, there has always been an effort for God's men to be controlled by governments, mobs, congregations, fellowships, and other men of God. Always throughout history. You look at it on the the pages of Scripture. Uh, That has been, been the case uh, with the Old Testament prophets, with those that uh, those disciples and those apostles, we must silence and control. You look throughout history. Uh, the same has taken place throughout history. Many uh, men have lost their lives. Their families have been murdered and martyred simply because they would not succumb to the message of a government. I praise God for our Baptist forefathers 
who would be willing to give their life before they would participate in infant baptism. And it was a church aligned with a government that would put our forefathers to death. There's always been an attempt by Satan himself to control the man of God. Well, you, you ought to be thankful. And I don't say this with, with anything but, but, but a humble spirit tonight. You ought to be thankful as a church member that you do have a pastor that's going to stand here and say, Thus saith the Lord, what would we do without the word of God? Why, why is it we treat the pastor different than we treat our doctor? We go to our doctor and he says, the first thing he says to us is, you're fat. We're like, well, you know, I've known that. I just, you know, then we make all these excuses. He says, you need to lose some weight. You need to exercise. I'm not speaking personally on, on that. that he, I'm just, you know, hypothetically on that. You need, you need to do all these things. You need to change your diet. I have never, I have never, I have never encountered two disgruntled women or men, but usually women outside the doctor's office, talking about who does he think he is to come into my home and tell me what I can and can't do in my house. He told me I need to get this kind of food out of my refrigerator. And he told me I need to change my schedule and I need to do this and this and make all these changes or I'm going to die. Who does he think he is? We're taking our copay and we're going down the road. And we're good. that doctor, I've heard, I saw it on Facebook, I saw it on Facebook, I've heard there's a doctor over there that he will never get on to you about your blood pressure. He'll never get on to you about your diet. He'll just say, you're fine just like you are. Who in their right mind would go to that doctor? But yet, why do we put a different standard on the man of God? Why do we put a different standard on our pastor? Who does he think he is? To tell me that I need to make some changes in my life. Friend, I've got one better for you. It's not me telling you you need to make changes. It's God himself through his word that tells all of us that we'll give an account to him. But throughout time, Elijah, John the Baptist, need I remind us that John the Baptist lost his head? Because he would not change the message that God has given him. The Apostle Paul, all he went through, the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified by the religious crowd, by the government of that day. Our Baptist forefathers, I think of J. Frank Norris, who's, who's, who, who's considered the father of the independent Baptist movement. What governments tried to do to him. It, it's, it's our heritage. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's Micaiah, the preacher, who would not fall in line. I'm going to make five very quick, very quick observations from this story. And then I'm going to make five statements that I'm going to make positionally for our church. And positionally as your pastor. I want us to look, first of all, we consider... The preacher who would not fall in line, we find that he had earned himself some powerful enemies. In verse number 8, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. 
Micaiah, the preacher who would not fall in line, had earned himself some powerful enemies. Ahab had been put to death. Ahab and Jezebel had that kind of power. They had that kind of control. He was a powerful enemy to have. Micaiah earned that enemy because Micaiah would preach the truth of God, would preach the, 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 the words of God, and he had earned himself some powerful enemies. We need to be reminded in our day that in the culture that we live in, if we stand against alcohol, we'll earn ourselves some powerful enemies. You know, and, and, and it just seemed a little bit of a pushback on that. I don't know why. But you know, alcohol is still the devil's brew. And just because churches with Baptists on their church name put their stamp of approval on social drinking does not make it right. Well, if politicians really wanted to make us safe, they'd get rid of the alcohol. But how sad for us to live in a day when there's a greater price to pay for cutting down a tree without permission than getting drunk and killing somebody in your vehicle. But if you stand and you make a strong statement and you stand against legislation, oh, you'll burn yourself some powerful enemies. If as a church, as we've done in the past, we make a stand and say we're not going to we're going to protest. We're going to voice our displeasure with adult stores and adult entertainments. That'll earn you some powerful enemies. Because it's all about the money. He had earned himself some powerful enemies. It's sad we live in a day when those who God calls and sets apart to go against the culture live to appease the culture. But he had earned himself some powerful enemies. A second thing I noticed here as we move quickly tonight. Preacher who would not fall in line was more concerned with the king of kings than earthly kings. Verse number 9, I find this very interesting. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne. Having put on their robes in the void place in the entrance of the great gate of Samaria... And all the prophets prophesied before them. They put on their crown. They put on their robes. They sat on their throne. And they let all these preachers come in and just tell them how wonderful they were. These were the kings. These were ones who should be bowed before. We find in the life of Micaiah, he was more concerned with the king of kings than earthly kings. Friend, can I remind you and I tonight, I'm, I'm thankful I live in the country I live in. I'm thankful I live in the United States of America. I'm a proud American. But, but friend, we should not be living to appease any man. We ought to be living to appease, and better better word would be to honor our God. We ought to be living to make Him happy with us. And, and I believe the, the Bible says live peaceably as much as possible with all men. But if we have to choose, I want God to be pleased with me. I want God to be pleased with us as a church. And he was more concerned with the king of kings than earthly kings. And this is a good application for all of us. We ought to be more concerned about what God thinks about us than, than our neighbors, than our co-workers, than our friends. Now, be a good testimony. 
But we, when it comes down to it, we're not going to stand before those individuals. We're going to stand before an almighty God and give an account to him. But he was more concerned with the king of kings and earthly kings. Number three, he was motivated by the final authority, not friends and fellowships. Verse 13 again, the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. The Bible does not clarify this. So you have to be careful in adding in to what the Bible does not put there. But it just makes logical sense that Micaiah knew some of these preachers. I mean, preachers know preachers. Uh, and, he's, and he's told, now, this is what they're prophesying. You fit in with them. You say what they say. We know Micaiah's response. See, in verse 14, Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. See, God's the final authority. You know, this evening, you know what authority I have as I stand behind this pulpit? It's, it's the only authority that comes from that book right there. That's the authority I have. My, my opinion is my opinion. Now, it still might be better than yours, but that's a whole other subject. But it's my opinion. It's a man's opinion. But what does God say? What is the final authority? And sometimes I'm in conversations with people that say, Well, Pastor, I just don't know if I agree with that. Well, what does God say about it? And what does God say about it? That's what we go with. He was more concerned, the preacher who wouldn't fall in line was more concerned with what God said than what everybody else said. Number four. See how fast we're moving tonight? This is something very important that we must see as a church. Look at me at verse number 19. What takes place, of course, we know he comes, he doesn't give the blessing, and he says in verses 15 through 18, oh yeah, go ahead, and then he continues and says, I see the sheep scattered, and they ought to just leave and go home, and, I, and Ahab's like, see, I told you, and we get to verse 19, he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, this is Micaiah speaking, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and, and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Don't tell me just because somebody's got preacher by their name, they're speaking the, word, the, the voice of God if it's contrary to the word of God. He said, I'll go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil against concerning thee. All of a sudden, the Preacher's Association regrets inviting Micaiah to preach before the luncheon that day. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these by the prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning them. But Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Where's that love and grace? I don't see it. Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. I like Micaiah. 
For what spirit? It went up and smote him. For what spirit told you I did that? You'll find out when you're hiding under your bed, when the judgment of God comes. And the king of Israel, verse 26, take Micah and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, thus saith the king, put this fellow in the prison and feed him with the bread of affliction, with water of affliction, until I come in peace. He says, go, put him back in jail, feed him the water of affliction, uh, the bread of affliction, until I get back. And then verse 28, and Micaiah said, oh, by the way, if thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. So, and as he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. He said, basically, who says you're coming back? Who says you're coming back? Here's the fourth thing I notice. Boldness and power come from an unwillingness to compromise. This is something that's missing. Even in our independent Baptist churches today. Even in, 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 in good churches with good people who hold to the word of God. A failure to realize. I, I preached on this a few weeks ago talking about Ahab and the showdown. Or, uh, Elijah and the showdown on Mount Carmel. We want to pray for revival. We want to pray for the power of God. But the power came down after the stand was taken. After a man was willing to stand on the word of God alone. Then the power fell. We're praying for revival and we're not taking a stand. Power comes from a stand on the word of God. Hey, parent, you want power, the power of God in your home? You want the evidence of God in your home? You have to stand where the Bible says to stand. That's where the power comes from. That, see, this is, it's very simple. This is, how, this is why I don't fall to all this. Well, the power of God is moving. If you've compromised in the church and you've brought in the devil's music and you have, you have no holiness and you have no personal separation, you're not preaching from the word of God, the power of God is not there because the power does not come without a stand on the word of God. How bold was this man? Oh, let me tell you what I see. I see God allowing a spirit to put a lying tongue in every one of their mouths. And then, can you, that, that didn't go over very well. And then one of these grace preachers walked over and smacked him upside the head and said, What spirit told me to do that? I've already mentioned response. It's too good not to respond to tell you again. He said, you'll find out when you're hiding in your room. Ahab, take him back. Put him back in jail. Put him on bread and water until I return. Oh, Ahab, who says you're coming back? How bold. Uh, who's, who's, who's power? Who has power over him? Ahab does. He's not going to win preacher of the year. His life is in jeopardy. His freedom is taken away from him. But I can stand here today and personally testify. When I look at this story, I'd love to have the boldness of Micaiah. I'd love to have the power to be able. And that's what scares them when you can push aside and see what they cannot see and say there's lying tongues in the mouth of the reverence. The boldness and power. See, mom and dad, that's why it's important for you to stand. It's important. And we all say, well, I, my pastor, he stands. You need to stand. 
You rear your children. You, have, you stand in your home, the, the, what you live by. As this world changes, it's important for, for pastors to stand, but it's important for people to stand on the Word of God. Every truth in that book is worth standing on. In the life of, of, of so many Christians and preachers today and in groups of people, it's, well, what's the consequences going to be before I decide to take the stand? Let me tell you what the consequence is of compromise. No power. No boldness. You want to tell me that God's going to grant power when His Word is compromised? It's not going to happen. That's why you take a church that has been true to the Word of God and you watch them change. You watch them compromise. The power leaves. You have to make excuses of why people don't walk down the aisle for salvation anymore. You have to give justification why the baptismal waters aren't stirred. You have to give justification of why people aren't being reached. Because the power is gone with the compromise. His boldness and his power comes for his unwillingness to compromise. Don't you want the power of God in your church? I thank God that it's evident that his power is on this place. And it's not because of my goodness. It's not, thank you for not saying amen there. It's not because of your goodness. Let me tell you what it is. It's where we stand on that right there. Oh, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail. I'm going to lose the four friends I have. That's why some, oh, I'm not going to do it. I don't have time. That's why some Christians have a hard time with our president. Because they haven't deemed him spiritual enough for God to bless him. But I'm, I'm sorry, anybody who stands when God says, I'm the giver of life, anybody who stands on that, God will bless that. Oh, that was, that was free. Number five. We've read verse 27 and 28 and say, Thus saith the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. They didn't think very much of what Micaiah said. Nobody was alarmed by it. Micaiah didn't go away kicking and screaming, you better listen to me, you better listen to me. But number five, the fifth observation I see is he let God validate his stand. Because in verse 34 we see, and a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, turn thine hand and carry me out of the host for I am wounded. Ahab is killed on that day. Ahab doesn't return back. God validates the stand. We live in a day and support for you and I as Christians to let God validate the stand on his word. My responsibility is to stand as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, my responsibility is not to even be concerned about how it's going to work out. It's just to stand. And then in time, God validates the stand. As a church, we have a responsibility to stand where the Bible stands. 
We understand that, don't we? It's not going to be popular with everybody. It's not going to be accepted by everyone. But it's not my responsibility to make anybody else understand. It's not my responsibility to, to, to do anything but other than stand and let God validate the stand. I've had many conversations on this line in the last several weeks with just casually different people. And how siblings will grow up in the same home. Be under the same parents. Go to the same Bible preaching church. Be a product of the same ministry. One stands on the word of God. One compromises the word of God. And oh, the one that compromises talks about how free they are now. Talks about how they've seen the light. Talks about oh, how, how, how we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to deal with that legalism anymore. They don't even understand what the word means. Every time I hear that, I want to, I want to, I want to hand them a dictionary. Oh, we, we, we don't have, we, 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 we just, we just experienced the grace of God and the love of God. You know, it's hard to deal with. One, because it's somebody you love and you care about. But you have to remember that it's our responsibility, and mom and dad. And by the way, let me say this: if before you've even reared your children, don't cast judgment on somebody and how they rear theirs. And I haven't said this in a long time, and I don't, I don't know that anything issues going on. But it's not the responsibility of the, the nursery worker to lecture a parent on what they should or shouldn't be doing with their kid. It is not responsibility of anybody else to say what somebody else should be doing. I don't, these people who've never reared their own children have all the ideas of how you should rear your own children. Or if there's a prodigal casting judgment on why there's a prodigal. But the point I'm trying to make is this. You've got to look 10 years down the road. And God validates the stand. God blesses the stand. God rewards the stand on His word. Friend, it's not your job to validate your stand. That's where pride comes in. There's a lot of, and quite frankly, there's a lot of independent Baptists that want everybody to know where they stand. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to preach the word of God, is to pastor this church, and I'll stand where God says to stand. We as a church are going to stand where God says to stand, and God will validate our stand. But he looked pretty smart. Nobody had to wonder if Micaiah was in tune with God. When by coincidence, some archer just says, oh, I got one arrow left. And it kills Ahab. Now here's some observations I see. Now I want to make five statements concerning us and our ministry. And a message like tonight is good to preach when you don't necessarily need to preach it. You know what I mean by that? I don't know of any issues. I, I, I've taught in the past how to treat a pastor. And what you should do for a pastor. The time to teach that is when a, when a church is taking care of their pastor, as you do for me. There's no issue. But the day may come, 50 years from now, when I'm not the pastor, you need to know how to treat the pastor. I enjoy teaching on those things when there is situations. But it's good for us from time to time to draw the lines and remind us where we stand in this day. I want to make statement number one when it comes to the preacher who would not fall in line. 
the autonomy and authority of the Emmanuel Baptist Church is not up for discussion, nor is it up for debate. We are an independent Baptist church. It is no, it's not your Aunt Susie's business what we do in our church. Uh, we are a local independent Baptist church in the autonomy of our church, meaning the authority we have operating as a church comes from that book right there. I'm not interested in what some other reverend says that I've got to go on our church. I'm not interested in what my friends think about how our church ought to be pastored. They say, Pastor, why are you saying this? Because there is a movement in our country to take away the autonomy and the self-governing of the local church. There is legislation that has been drafted in multiple cities targeting independent Baptist churches and their ability to operate without oversight. See, we don't take our orders from a headquarters in any city. We believe that we operate right under God. And I say that because there is a great movement in our nation that people think they have a right to say what goes on in somebody else's church. I don't have a right to even give my opinion. Brother Stanley sits back here. He's pastored for years. I don't care how he pastors his church. It's not my business. I've been to the Mueller's church several times on vacation. I don't tell them how they ought to run that church because he's not the pastor, so I don't tell them anything about that. But you get the point I'm making. How we, the authority of our church, is not up for discussion, nor is it up for debate. Statement number two. Truth shall dictate doctrine and direction, our stand, not popularity or cultural acceptance. One thing that has been the demise of Bible preaching churches is groups like the Barna Group and all these different surveys that people pattern their churches after surveys. Last, now I'm not the smartest, I've been told I'm not the smartest person. But this ain't, this ain't a survey. This is a command. And it really does it matter what I think? And can I just help us tonight? If it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what you think either. Thus saith the Lord. So truth shall dictate direction and doctrine and direction, not popularity or cultural acceptance. See, marriage is still sacred. It doesn't matter what a judge says. It doesn't matter what a government says. It doesn't matter what society says. I don't think a man and a woman should shack up together. I, I, think, I think some things are, are God's design for marriage. Certainly it's not a man and a man and a woman and a woman, but ad adultery is wrong. Fornication is wrong as well. Marriage is still sacred. It doesn't matter what the culture says. We're still going to rear our boys to be men. Let me say that again. We're going to rear our boys to be men. Uh, that's just the way it is. And if, and, if, and if their masculinity is toxic, I can't help you with that. We're going to rear our girls to be ladies. No transgender here. And our society has systematically, the devil knows what he's doing. 
God created he them male and female. He made them very different. He made a man, and he, he saw that it was not good for a man to be alone. He says, I need to make somebody that's just like the man. No, he can't, he can't figure it out the way he is. I need to make somebody that's much different than him. That's his design. And it is, a, it is, it is not only a scripturally proven fact, but it is a, it is a you, there's been studies done on it. The more masculine the man is, the more feminine the, the lady is that's attracted to him. And the more masculine the lady, the more feminine the man. So by removing the toxic masculinity, we, we, we're altering the, the purpose that God designed both, both sexes for. This is a free psychological lecture. But we're rearing our boys to be men. Moms, they can skin their knee and not die. Tell them to rub some dirt on it and they'll be okay. It's, I don't worry about the boys that get in fistfights. I worry about the ones that don't. There's going to be like six fights out in the parking lot tonight. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I don't worry about the boys under 50. Rear them to be men. Rear girls to be ladies. The Me Too movement doesn't own this pastor. The culture does not decide what this church does and where it stands. Number three, no outside fellowship, group, paper, conference, college, association, or preacher has a say in who preaches in this pulpit, what is preached in this pulpit, or how we run our ministry. I just felt like saying that. Number four. As the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, I answer to God first and to the people of the Emmanuel Baptist Church second. There is no third. I've said this to you many times. I'll say it again tonight, and it's good. We have... We're getting our college open back up again, and, and, and we're going to train preachers and send them out, and they need to be the right kind of preachers, have the right kind of mindset. It is an honor and it's a privilege for me to be your pastor. And I love you, and I care for you, I pray for you, I sit where you sit, sit the best that I can. I want to please you. I, I, I want... I want, I want to help you. I want you to know that you have a pastor that cares for you. I want you to be pleased with me. I have that in me. But I am more concerned with God being pleased with me than I am you being pleased with me. Well, well as an independent Baptist church, who provides oversight? You mean other than God? I'd much rather answer the man than God and know that one day 
Every word I speak from behind this pulpit, I'm going to give an account for. Every word I didn't speak from behind this pulpit that I should have, I'm going to give an account for. Every prayer I should have prayed and didn't, I'm going to give an account for. Every time my heart shouldn't have been, wasn't in tune with him, I'm going to give an account. What you do as a Christian, God's going to give, I'm going to have to give an account for that. Your success in your service for him, I as your pastor am going to give an account for that. And you, you tell me that, that there ought to be a greater oversight than that. My concern is God being pleased with me. I answer to God. But as your pastor, I do want to help you. We're in this together. But as I said, number four, as the pastor of the Main Baptist Church, I answer to God first and the people of the Main Baptist Church second. God will not tell another man what this church should do. And God will not tell me what should be done in another church. I got an email recently from some irate woman demanding me give an explanation of why I blocked her, scorn her pastor on social media. Now, I did not get in the flesh and respond to her how I wanted to. But where do we get today where we think we have a right to demand somebody else give an account to them? What would you do if I knocked on your door tonight and said, you're going to give me an account of everything that goes on in your house? One, I'd be out of my mind to want to know that. And if you didn't slam the door in my face, I'd be disappointed. Number five, and I'm done. Our focus will remain on reaching the lost souls, ministering to the broken, building the burden, and remaining faithful, pleasing God, by presenting Him a holy church, fulfilling the Great Commission. The closer we get to Christ's return, the worse this world's going to get. Do we really think well, look what's going on politically, the mobs, Antifa. Do we really think that if Jesus came in this day, they wouldn't crucify him? Absolutely they would. This does not mean you and I cannot be close to our God. It does not mean that we cannot see miracles as we have seen. It does not mean that God cannot give us the favor of men. But our focus is on, as a church, what our focus should be on, and that's reaching the lost, ministering to the hurting, the brokenhearted. Remember, church, power comes from an uncompromising stand. Favor comes from an uncompromising stand. See, there's a difference in a preacher with rhetoric and one with conviction. There's a lot of rhetoric, but how are we standing on that book? Pastor, I'm with you. Okay, thank you for sharing. Now show me. Stand where you ought to stand. Be what you're supposed to be. We live in a day when the closer we get to Christ's return, and I do believe his return is imminent. If we look at the word of God, we know how this world's going to be when he comes back. I want to be faithful.
I don't want to face my Savior knowing that I've compromised when He did so much for me. That's, that's my greatest motivation. I hope it's your motivation. Be faithful not to please another man, not to please your pastor, but to please your God. Parents, rear your children according to the word of God so that they might honor him. Let's do what we do so God, I want us all, I want us all. That's why I, I, I covenant with you. I'll preach that book. I'll stand where I need to stand. And I've said this before. I'll fight your kid if I need to fight them so that they'll do right and not run their life. I'll stand in your way if necessary, if, if you're going to destroy your family. I think we have that responsibility to one another. But let's stand where we're supposed to stand because I want us as a church to be able to stand before our Savior one day and hear Him say, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant. And I know we'll have glorified minds. I know we'll have glorified bodies. But if you'll just permit me just for a moment... I know we won't think this way. But I'd hate for my mansion to be next door to Micaiah's. And he stood like he stood. And he looked the king eyeball to eyeball. When he looked those other prophets and said, oh yeah, let me tell you what I see. There's been a spirit put a lying tongue in your mouth. I would hate to have a mansion next to him as a preacher and I changed my message because some teenagers didn't like the message or because some deacons didn't want to go along with the message or because society had changed. Micaiah, the preacher who wouldn't fall in line. Let's stand for the Lord. This is the church that has stood and will continue to stand. God, God will give us continued harvest of souls because his word will not return void. But I, I'm, I'm thankful that through the years that we've stood where the word of God stands. That's why tonight you have second and third generation, not just Christians, but products of this ministry, serving in this ministry. That's the power of God. What has God done for us over the last few years? Miracle after miracle after miracle. It comes with a stand. Mom and dad determined to stand. You're, you're, you, you, can't, you can't fathom this right now because they're back in that nursery and, oh, they smile at you and, 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 they, and, they, and oh, they just melt your heart and, 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 and your kid. Now, the other kids, they're the bad ones. Your kid will never do that. Your kid is never going to uh, get in trouble. And your kid, it's always every, oh, you better decide when they're that little, that when they're 16 and 17, this book still has not changed. Make sure mom and dad still has not changed. You know, and I want when those kids in that nursery are grown and they have their own family and put their kids in not that same nursery but in the nursery. That their kids have a pastor who still stands where he stands today. That they still have Sunday school teachers and choir members and faithful church people 
that will stand when the Bible says to stand and will not give in to the pressures of this world. Father, help us to...